0: Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein.
1: We are back, and it is almost the end of the semester here. And uh, what better way to kick off uh, the final week of classes than to fully procrastinate all of our responsibilities related to academia and instead gossip about some of our favorite celebrities uh, in the context of communication theory. I'm super excited to be back for another celebrity crossed with com theory uh, episode here. Uh, Today we're going to talk about uh, a different Harry. Uh, We talked about Harry Styles in our last one. Uh, This time, we're going to be talking about Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel, And we're going to be doing it in the context of communication privacy management theory. And to help me do that, I have friend of the pod and uh, multiple guest appearance, Dr. Laura Guerrero. Thanks for joining.
2: Of course. Good to be here, James.
1: Great to have you back. Uh, And it continues to be great. To have conversations with you that are completely unrelated to my dissertation defense. Really, truly great to not have to do that.
2: <laughs> yes, I agree. No pressure here. The pressure's on me now, not you. Yeah. You're how, asking the questions.
1: How sometimes. does it feel? Yeah, now I'm asking the questions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today I wanna talk, obviously, about uh, Harry uh, and and Megan, and I wanna do it in the context of uh, CPM, which is. Uh, an often overlooked and underutilized theory, when it comes to quantitative people like us, <laughs> so I, I I'm glad that we get to talk about it because we owe Sandra Petronio that that respect. Um, let's let's begin by just kind of breaking down the tenets of communication privacy management theory. Like, what does it mean to be private? Like, what does it mean when information is private? And where, if anywhere, is there room for like misunderstanding or miscommunication surrounding the idea of privacy or private information?
2: It's a great question, and I agree. We owe uh, a debt of respect, and thanks to Sandra Petronio for coming up with this theory, because there's so much that focuses on how we seek and exchange information, how we self-disclose, and this theory really looks at the other end of that. You know, what about when we don't want to disclose? What, what about when we want to control information? And the theory has three kind of key concepts in it that help to explain that. The first is the idea of privacy ownership. So this is who has the right to decide what happens to private information. So if you think about, you know, the example for today with Prince Harry and Meghan, Now, who owns information about their relationship and their decisions? Ultimately, we'd probably say they own it, but the press might think because they're public figures, they own it. And then how does the family deal with that? Now, if a member of the family has information, are they okay to share it? Are they considered co-owners, or should they have to ask for permission to share it? So ownership issues are really at the heart of Sandra Petronio's theory. The idea of privacy control is another big concept within the theory. And this is the, uh, kind of what Sandra would call, Sandra Petronio would call the engine that drives the theory. So this is what do we do to control that information? How do we put up boundaries about information? What decisions do we make to try to protect that information? So, again, thinking about our example for today, I think about I saw that the Netflix special where they talked about their relationship. And in that special, they talked about how at the beginning of the relationship, they wanted to keep it secret because they knew they wouldn't be able to develop the relationship the same way if the media was all over them. So they very specifically made decisions like she was going to get on a plane and go to him because less people are going to be interested in what she's doing if she's going across the Atlantic than the other way around. And they talked about that they needed that space to be able to develop the relationship without interference. So for me, that that's a good example of privacy control. They put a boundary up, and then they were very specific. Um, they've also, for example, done things like try to get ahead of the press. So when they heard that the media found out that they were dating somebody tipped them off and then they try to get ahead of that rather than having the media be the ones to let out the information. And then the final concept that is, I would say, the third central concept within the theory is the idea of privacy turbulence. And this is when the boundaries break down and they can break down for lots of different reasons. You might have two people who both own the information and have different ideas about who should be privy to it and who shouldn't uh, it can break down when you have people who shouldn't be owners of the information sharing it with other people without their permission. So these are times when we have conflict and issues because privacy boundaries haven't been managed properly.
1: That's nice. And man, those were those were some good examples. Especially, I, I like that you included the media in terms of ownership because when I first started studying communication privacy management theory as, you know, an undergrad, I, uh, it, it's one of the things that clicked immediately for me where I was like, Oh my God, I own my private information. And I, for lack of a better term, I sell it to other people. And when they get that information, they feel like they own it. They feel like they've purchased it and own that information. And that was always such a clear element of the theory. And there is such a clear example of a space where, Two parties believe that they both own information, but one party (laughs) believes, right? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because as you're saying that, it makes me think about uh, Petronio's distinction between authorized and unauthorized owners. Yes. So authorized owners are people who you give the information to. You trust them with the information. Uh, They might even become co-owners in terms of helping you to have that boundary there. Uh, but unauthorized owners are people who think that they own the information, <laughs> but the actual owners of the information think that they don't. And you see this all the time. An example I give my students often is, you know, you might have like a teenager who is dealing with an eating disorder or a drug problem. You know, does that teenager own the information or do the parents own the information because the teenager's still a minor? Right. And so you can have problems just defining who has ownership and when you look at like the royals part of their job is that they are public figures so where is that line in exactly. terms of who owns it?
1: exactly I mean that was that was really the entirety of of my second question which is like what makes this so unique and it's it's the ability to control the narrative and the inability to avoid the public sphere like if somebody in that royal family gets into a relationship it's news whether you want it to be or not and i think that that's so important In terms of not only like shaping the idea of like what relationships are or what they ought to be in the eyes of the public, but also in terms of like truly highlighting the extent to which relational decisions are inescapable. You know what I mean? Whether you're a member of the royal family or just like somebody on Instagram, like people see and intake and take possession of the messages that you communicate to them publicly. And from a CPM perspective, that that creates a lot of potential boundary turbulence. Does it not?
2: Yes, yes, it does. And I think you know, for Harry and Meghan, it's even more difficult because they have both in some ways always been in the public eye, not her always. He grew up with it. I mean, imagine your birth, if you're Prince Harry, is broadcast all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> now you're brought out, you know, in the white blanket, held up. Uh, so, I mean, when you think about that level of lack of privacy, that he's always had uh, you know, after his mom princess diana died you know the fact that he i think one of the images that's really lasting i'm uh i remember that i was uh, i'm i shouldn't disclose too much about my age but i'm not far <laughs> off from from diana's age but you so talk about remember, privacy
1: management there you go
2: right right <laughs> the boundary i just put down but yeah you know, so i yeah i remember I, i'm a little younger than she would be if she was alive now, but I remember being in high school and seeing the engagement of the two of them. And then I also, you know, one of the, the biggest memories I have is of especially Harry walking behind the casket and thinking about this young boy whose mom was just taken away from him and what he must be feeling, but he has to show this public face.
1: Right. That was, that's Um, my first memory of princess Diana is is Harry walking behind her like that. So funny that you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a
2: lot of people it is. And, and I think people see that their hearts went out to him. Yeah, And I think, but it, it makes them feel like they know him, they can relate to him. And I think that's part of this too, that people assume with celebrities and with royals that they know all these things about them. Right. But they actually don't. And uh, it's in the Netflix special, I remember, I can't remember which of them said... Now that they asked, you know, well, you're you're writing like Harry wrote the book and they're doing the special and they said, we, we need to tell the story, which goes back to ownership, right? Now, they're like, other people are telling the story for us. It's our story. Right. And so we need to manage the boundary by realizing that if we want the to correct the record and we want the story to come out right, we need to to go out there and be public, which goes against a lot of what. Uh, The royal upbringing suggests, which is you don't say anything because no matter what you can what you say, it can be misconstrued.
1: Right. And I think that 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 transitions nicely into kind of the next space that I wanted to get, because as we know, there was a big public split. Uh, that Harry had with that royal family. and to, to your point, they, they were so open about it and it goes against the grain of you know the norms and expectations. and obviously we don't have time to get into EVT and all that, but um, I guess I guess what I'm wondering is why do you think that, for example, as you mentioned, in the coming together stages of their relationship, they were explicitly private, right? They were trying to hide the information. and then fast forward, few years now they're being explicitly public and trying to manage the information and trying to take control of the narrative so what does cpm say about that sort of those those dueling perspectives that sort of almost dialectical tension that that these two have
2: right yeah i mean i think the dialectical tension is a great way to think about this uh, they want to do charitable works so they need a public persona you don't see them saying we quit the royal family and we're also quitting public life right uh, they're they're still wanting to be doing things that they believe are going to help society which i think obviously is very admirable so they are trying to manage that they're trying to distance themselves from some of i think the constraints of being a member of the royal family, but also taking advantage of the fact that they are well-known individuals and that they can make a difference. And I think there is that that dialectical tension there between trying to do those two things. I think one of the things the theory talks about pretty clearly when it talks about what affects how we manage the boundaries, one of those is the relationship between the people, the stage of a relationship that they're at, and so I think you see that in the evolution of some of their decisions. They they knew that they would never be able to get to know each other in the same way. But it's interesting that once it was announced, I, I remember this clearly from the Netflix. Uh, that Harry commented that there were some things he didn't know about her, even though they spent all that time together in Africa and they spent all that time getting to know each other on a private level. He didn't know everything about her. And so the media actually uncovered some things about her that he was surprised about and that that kind of bothered the two of them. Like we're hearing about this from the media instead of from each other. Oh, man. And I think that goes back to ownership from the theory, right? The you know, Megan should have the right to disclose that information to Harry within the context of their relationship and not hear from it from the media. But I think the switch also to when the relationship was developed enough and they decided we you know we know we're in love and we know we want this relationship to work. And now people know about it and we have to go public. I think they did an amazing job really shifting and saying, "Okay, we can't stay within the bubble. The privacy boundary management just that we were trying to do just came down. We're going to get ahead of it. And so I think they have navigated things at different stages. And then you also see them really trying to fit in. So like when their engagement was announced, it really reminded me so much of Charles and Diana's. Yeah. Uh, I could see Charles and Diana sitting there and with her, you know, showing the ring on her hand, much like Megan kind of had her hand out. And then immediately after it was announced, you know, they went to talk to the press. So it was a very public event. And it was very much to me, you know, what you've seen a lot of times when you see the royals get engaged. And that struck me too that they were trying to fit within the privacy kind of rules for what it means to be a royal and to have that non-private time of letting the public know what is going on. But I think, you know, over time that got too too difficult to do. And so they want to now do things on their terms and kind of break away from those rules. So I think this is a big part of the theory, you know, which rules do they adhere to? Which do they decide we're going to come up with our own way of doing this and kind of break away from those rules? I think you see them doing that.
1: Yeah, in in a number of different ways. And I want to talk about one of those ways uh, in a moment. But first, you kind of gestured toward this just a moment ago. But one of the things that I'm really interested in is kind of like the cycle of the royal family repeating itself. I mean, this is not the first time there's been like a super scandalous relational element in the royal family. And of course, I'm I'm talking about Diana and Charles and um, the extent to which their relationships broke boundaries and um involved you know co-ownership of private information and the media was going crazy and then they were both having affairs with each other it was really really salacious so i'm wondering if you know other than like the, the showing off of the ring do you see uh, let me ask this differently to what extent do you feel like diana and charles walked so that harry and megan could run literally run away from mm-hmm. from, the, from the royal family
2: yeah, and I don't, yeah, that's an interesting way to phrase it. I, I, th- the way I see it from, and I, you know, I don't want to uh, break their privacy, right? By saying <laughs> anything, so everything I say should be verified. But from my perspective of what I've seen Harry say in particular, I think he learned lessons from what his mom went through. I, I still remember. Has somebody made a comparison back when uh, Diana was alive that no two people on the planet except for her and Michael Jackson at the time. like they couldn't go anywhere. Like they were the two people that you now um, and that it was crazy. No matter where you went, there were cameras there. And I think when you when you think about her trying, she went through that and you saw her when she had her two sons, They'd be on vacation. I remember seeing, I forget if, where they were going, but they were somewhere in London. I remember seeing it. And they got out of the car and she was with her sons and the paparazzi were everywhere. I think when um, William went to school, paparazzi everywhere. Yeah. And I remember a few times seeing her say, and I think this might even be on the Netflix um, mm-hmm. series, where she basically tells... Um, the reporters, my kids need privacy, they need space. Yeah. Yeah, so she uses that terminology to give us space. We're on holiday, we're going to a show, he's trying to start school. Uh, And so I think that that was something that Harry saw And I think also that you see that protectiveness in him towards both Megan and his children. And then you see that protectiveness in Megan towards the children. Yeah. So they have made those statements like we want our kids to be able to grow up like normal kids. We don't want them to not be able to walk outside with cameras in their face. So I think I think that protectiveness and, and what happened to his mom. I mean, can you imagine you are the son of someone who was literally being chased by paparazzi when they crashed.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can really make the argument that it was the public attention that was her undoing. Of course, you know, there were other issues that the, the uh, right. driver ha- was intoxicated and, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. And, and that's fair. Um, but had it not been for the media rush... Odds are they wouldn't have been there in that spot that night. So I think that that's a really important how the attempted breaking down of those uh, of those boundaries yes. might have cost her her life.
2: Yes, and when you think about you know his, everybody watching this and especially her two sons seeing this, this is their mom and they're having to hear about her mom. You know, my mom had an affair with this person. My mom. You know, they're hearing this as young boys. Yeah. So I think for them, you know, and to me, it truly is amazing how Prince Harry has dealt with all of this. I think him talking about it and breaking that that privacy boundary down and sharing it and making himself vulnerable to the public to see things from his perspective, I think was not only brave, but healing. Yeah. And yeah, we'd have to ask him if he thinks this is true. But you know, it seems like it was just a very brave, smart thing to do, and that the decisions were made not for animosity against the royal family, but more as a way of managing these privacy boundaries in ways that allow him, his wife, and his children to lead a different kind of life. Yeah, to have agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that idea to have yeah. agency, which is, you know, Petronio talks about this as the privacy control is the engine. Right. You know how, how we deal with it, and for me, yeah, he's taking agency. He's taking control of that engine, right? He's saying, "I'm driving this car. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not letting the media drive it. I'm not letting the royal family drive it." And they seem to be doing this jointly, um, as a good team, which I think is important because in privacy. Um, communication management terms, they're fortifying and renegotiating those boundaries together as a team.
1: Right. Yeah. And I I think that like from like a public perception standpoint, there was at least a brief period of time where people viewed him as like, what are you doing, man? Like, why would you backstab your family this way you don't even know this lady but like when you when you look at it big picture it's like yeah you the public you didn't think he knew her because they were explicitly keeping their relationship a secret for an extended period of time so it feels out of the blue to the public um but in reality this this is like you know a very calculated effort to try to manage their own privacy and information and, you know, while some folks might think that, you know, he took, quote unquote, the coward's way out. I mean, I think you make some really important points to the counter.
2: Yeah. No, I, I don't think it was. I would think it was a smart way. I mean, yeah. They needed to be a unified team and they needed time to be able to decide, first of all, do we want to be a couple? Uh, she needed to decide, do I want to put up with all of this? Right. right? Yeah, she's got her yeah. own
1: thing going on, too, you know.
2: Yeah. And does she want to deal with all the scrutiny that it would be to be, you know, the girlfriend and then the fiance and then the wife yep. of Prince Harry? This is a lot to take on. You know, I mean, her coworkers talked about how, you know, they were constantly bombarded. When is she going to be in? People trying to get her schedule. Uh, so their social networks were also, you know, her family was having to deal with it. So I think that was just so smart. And I think, you know, the other reason there was backlash, people were both delighted. And I think, you know, some people, she didn't fit the mold of what they expected Harry to marry. Now, she's an American actress, and I mean, people say, well, part of it is that she was biracial, but when you look at the reactions, there was that, which is obviously very unfortunate, but a lot of it was also an American actress, like, she's American, she's foreign, and she's an actress, so she might be able to manipulate us and play us, and we can trust her.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there was, I mean, that was kind of like... The bonus question I had, which was just like centered around <laughs> all of the ways in which Megan has been othered by both the family and the, the, the media and like the intertwining of those two areas to create, almost turn her into some sort of like succubus villain, right? Like some like yeah. cartoonified Manipulator, when it's like, no, this is just my fiance. Like, this is just like a lady. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just in a relationship with somebody. Yeah. And it's wild how the minute that the public expectation is violated, all of a sudden, now it's it's villainous. You know what I mean?
2: Yes. Yes. And I remember Harry told her, oh, "You're not supposed to ever respond to the media." And at first, she was trying to be friendly and win them over. Yeah. And Harry explained to her, no, you don't understand. Like, if you respond, there's there, it, there's not a right way to respond. So it's a, it's kind of a way of saying you can't manage that boundary in any way that will protect the public image. Because, the, you know, if you smile too much, then you're trying to manipulate the media. Yeah. If you don't smile at all, you're unfriendly. Right. You know, I mean, there's, uh, so the, the kind of no comment and just going about your business is what they're trained to do because there's no— There's no way that you can control other people's perceptions. And I think that comes out of the theory, too. We can control our boundaries to some extent, but not always. But we can control our reactions and we can try to be proactive like they were in anticipating some of that boundary turbulence.
1: Yeah. And I think that the two of them have been quite good at that. And on that note, that is actually all the time we have for this installment. So, Laura, thank you once again for joining the pod. It's always a pleasure.
2: Always a pleasure to be with you. Always fascinating to, you know, share ideas about some of these issues.
1: Absolutely. And we've got one more opportunity to do that next week where we will talk about Tom Brady and Giselle. So that should be a good one. But until then, have a good week. Have a good end of semester. And uh, looking forward to that next conversation.
0: You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication.